This morning we are in Luke chapter 8, verse number 22 through verse 25. Luke chapter 8, verse 22 through verse 25. It's a very familiar story to many of us, a story that several of the gospel writers record. It is the story of Jesus and his disciples on the stormy, tumultuous Sea of Galilee. And in this particular passage, we get a very clear picture of who Jesus is, and as well, an understanding of what our Lord is doing in our lives through storms, through times of difficulty. Luke 8.22 says, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, for the privilege that it is that we have this morning to read and to reflect on it this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to understand not just uh, the bare event of what this story is relating to us, but more importantly, what it teaches us about you, about the glory and majesty of your son, Jesus Christ, and about how you are working in our lives for your glory. Father, may your spirit teach us this morning from your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In his commentary, Kent Hughes tells the story of a freighter ship called the Edmund Fitzgerald. It was a cargo ship that was built in 1958 at the Great Lakes Engineering Works in River Rouge, Michigan. It is estimated that more than 10,000 people watched as the vessel slid into the water in uh, June of 1958. It was 729 feet long, And she and her sister ship, the Arthur B. Homer, became the largest freight carriers on the Great Lakes. On November 10th of 1975, after 17 years on the lakes, the Edmund Fitzgerald left Duluth, Minnesota, and soon found herself in the worst storm to hit Lake Superior in more than 30 years. Hurricane force winds clocked to 80 miles an hour with gusts up to 96 miles an hour. Waves were running 30 to 35 feet high. Men on the lake later recalled how the wind in the rigging sounded like dozens of air raid sirens all going off at once. The waves were pounding the ships and they were in the words of the sailors like a hundred wrecking balls all banging on the steel plates of the hull. Mountainous waves crashed over the freighter, rolling 600 feet along the deck. Shortly after 7 o'clock p.m. in the darkness, 
the Edmund Fitzgerald's long hull bent and then snapped in half like a broken bone. The two mammoth pieces sunk 500 feet to the bottom of Lake Superior and ended up 170 feet apart. Some said that the breakup happened in 10 seconds. One minute she was plowing through the high waves and the next minute she was gone. And all of the crew members lost their lives that day. That is a storm that came up on a freshwater lake out of nowhere. It is not unusual for incredible storms like that to arise over inland fresh waters. The waves in fresh waters are often contradictory and they're not as rhythmic and systematic as sea waves are. The geography around fresh water often causes sudden temperature changes and violent changes in weather. The Sea of Galilee in northern Israel is only eight miles wide by 13 miles long, but it was and is still known today for the possibility of rapid developing storms that can be quite severe at times. The sea is at an incredible distance below sea level. And because of it being in a valley, in a ravine like it is, sometimes the winds can come in that valley and whip around and cause storms to uh, whip up in a hurry and sometimes uh, be quite severe. That's exactly what happened this particular day when Jesus and his disciples were crossing the lake. Verse 22 says that Jesus told his disciples to get into the boat and to cross over the other side of the lake. According to Mark's account, this happened at the end of the day after Jesus' parable of the feed of the the sower and the seed, the four types of ground. And so it had been a long day of teaching, a long day of miracles. In fact, some suggest that this was perhaps the largest crowd that Jesus had taught at this point in his ministry. And so it was an exhausting day. And so they set out in the boat that afternoon But as they set out to cross the lake, they had no idea the danger that was approaching. And one of the interesting things about this story is as the disciples are sailing across the lake, where is Jesus? He's asleep in the back of the boat. And sometimes we look at that and we think, why was Jesus sleeping while a storm is raging in the Sea of Galilee? And I think one of the things that it points to is the fact that Jesus is a man. He's a man. Jesus was exhausted. He had just spent the entire day with throngs of people all around him. And so he got into a boat and found a place to lie down and went to sleep. Jesus is the son of God, but we must not forget that he's also the son of man. He's 100% fully man. And Jesus got tired. He got exhausted like we get tired and exhausted. And so he was in the back of the boat and he was sleeping. And so they're coming across the lake and everything seems normal. The boat was normal. The seas were normal. The sky may have even looked normal when they got into the boat to start to cross to the other side. But in a very short amount of time, a storm, a tumultuous storm arose that was so severe 
that water was crashing into the boat and it caused seasoned fishermen to fear for their lives. These were men who were on the Sea of Galilee a lot. They had encountered storms before. But here they are, afraid for their lives, crying out to Jesus to save them. It is a very severe storm that entered into their lives that day. Have you ever had a day like that? Have you ever had a day where everything started out normal? You got up like normal, you had your breakfast like normal, you got dressed like normal, you went out and started driving to work like normal. Everything was a normal part of your routine, but then something in the day happened. A storm rose up on the sea that threw everything in your life into disarray in a moment. An injury, a car accident, loss of a job, being laid off at work. These kinds of things can enter into our lives in a moment and they totally upset everything that's going on in our day. And sometimes when these things happen, these life-shaking things that seem to come out of nowhere, sometimes it shakes our faith. It shakes our faith, and sometimes it might even cause us to question God and wonder what God is doing in our lives. One of the things that I think this passage is seeking to convey to us is that in God's wisdom, sometimes the Lord allows crises to enter into our lives. In his wisdom, the Lord may allow crises, trials, troubles to enter our lives. Jesus is in the boat and he is sleeping But as Jesus set out across the lake and as he told his disciples to set out across the lake, even though Luke doesn't specifically tell us this, my inclination is to think that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen as they crossed that lake. And that the storm, while a surprise to the disciples, is not a surprise or a cause for concern for Jesus. He knew what was going to happen. He's in control of everything that is going on. And in his wisdom, the Lord brought his disciples into a time of difficulty, into a time of crisis. Why? Because he had some things that he wanted to teach his disciples, didn't he? And his disciples were going to learn a lot that day on the waters about who they were, about who their Savior was. And so sometimes the Lord may allow crises to enter into our lives. But in so doing, he has a purpose, doesn't he? He has a purpose. And so verse 23 says that as they sailed, that Jesus fell asleep. And all of a sudden, a squall, a storm came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. And so a storm arises. But... God is in control of the storm, isn't he? Jesus is in control of the storm. Jesus is providentially in control of when storms arise and when storms come. And I mean that not only literally in terms of the weather, but also metaphorically in terms of storms in our lives. God is in control of the storms that come into our lives. 
And so the Lord may allow these crises to enter into our lives. Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat, but he was not far away, was he? He was not far away. Sometimes we might feel like Jesus is asleep or he's far away when the trials of life are overflowing into our boat, into our lives, but he is there. Jesus is there and he does not allow a storm to come up into our life greater than we can bear by his grace. Remember, the storms do not happen by accident. They happen for a purpose. And this storm on this particular day for the disciples happened for a purpose. It was to show the disciples something that they had never seen before. They had already spent much time with Jesus and they probably thought they had seen everything there was to see about who Jesus was and what he could accomplish, but they were about to see something that they had never seen before. Their faith is going to grow. Their faith is going to be tested. And so the Lord may allow these crises to enter into our lives. And one of the reasons why he may allow these crises to enter into our lives is to remind us of our weakness and his strength. To remind us of our weakness and his strength. Now, in the next couple of points that I'm going to give, I'm going to give some things that, that the Lord may be doing in storms that he brings into our lives. I'm just drawing these from this passage in Luke 8, 22 to 25. I'm not saying that these are the only reasons why storms come into our lives. When we think about trials and difficulties and hard things that enter into our lives, there are many reasons that God in his wisdom may have for allowing, for bringing those things into our lives. I'm just going to bring out a few that I think this passage is revealing to us here in Luke chapter 8. And one of the things I think this story reveals to us is that when crises enter into our lives, when storms arise, it reminds us of our weakness, doesn't it? It reminds us of our weakness and it drives us to him, reminding us that he is the one who is strong, not us. And so notice what the disciples do. Now, remember, these are seasoned fishermen, right? These are men who have been in the Sea of Galilee in difficult times, difficult storms before. But notice what they do. The disciples went and woke him in verse 24. And they said, Master, Master, we're going to drown. So they're afraid for their lives. Their weakness, right? When storms come into our lives, when trials hit us, we learn an awful lot about our inabilities, don't we? We learn a lot about our, our finiteness, our inabilities, how much we cannot handle on our own. That's on purpose. Because one of the purposes that God has in trials is to humble us. It's to humble us and to remind us that we are weak that we do not have the strength, that we are not capable in and of ourselves to solve our problem. But then where does that drive us to? It drives us to the Savior, doesn't it? So when we see our weakness, 
when we are humble to see our limited capabilities, it drives us to the one who has all capability. It drives us to the one who has strength. As the Lord Jesus reminded Paul, when he cried out to the Lord to remove his thorn in the flesh, Jesus says, I'm not going to remove it. I'm going to let you go on in that trial, in that storm, continue to have that thorn in the flesh. Why? So that you'll remember that my strength is made perfect in weakness. So here, the Lord is bringing his disciples into a place of weakness, into a place where they do not have the strength or the capability, but it causes them, it directs them to call out to the Lord who has the strength. And so notice what Jesus does. He gets up and he rebukes the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. Our weakness, Lord, we're going to drown, but his strength, peace be still. And the storms were still. So the Lord may allow crises to enter into our lives to remind us of our weakness and his strength. The Lord may allow crises to enter our lives to strengthen our faith in him. The Lord may allow crises to enter our lives to strengthen our faith in him. Notice the question that Jesus asks in Luke 8, 25. He asked his disciples, where is your faith? He rebukes them for their lack of faith. Why didn't you believe in me? It's almost like Jesus is saying, how long have you been with me now? How many miracles have you seen? How many blind people can now see? How many demon-possessed people are now free and back in their right minds? How many lame people can walk? How many dead people are alive again? You've seen all these things. Where's your faith? Why didn't you believe in me? Has your faith ever wavered in a storm, in a trial? If we're human, the answer is yes. Our faith is like that of the disciples. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Our faith has wavered in the midst of a trial. There are times when we start to have fears and anxieties and concerns. How is this all going to work out? Where was our faith during those times? And the point that Jesus is making to his disciples is clear. When he asks them, where is your faith? He's telling them, he's teaching them that they should have been able to rest and trust in Jesus, trust in God's care and his ability to watch over them. And the faith that Jesus is talking about here is is not their initial act of faith in believing who Jesus is, but it's their everyday faith, isn't it? It's their everyday faith that they need to continue day by day to trust and to rely on Jesus. It's the kind of faith that responds in the midst of pressure. It is the kind of faith that kicks in and recognizes that God is in control in the midst of trials. And here's the thing that Jesus is teaching his disciples is that this kind of faith 
can never grow and develop if it is never exercised. This kind of faith can never develop and grow if it is never exercised. This kind of faith cannot grow in the closet. It's got to be brought out and put into action. It has to be taken out and used in the midst of difficulty and trials to be strengthened. Your muscles, if you don't use them, will atrophy and they will weaken. In order to be strengthened, they have to be exercised. The same is true with faith. You need trials to grow in your faith. If you want to grow closer to God and grow deeper in your faith, then you need to appreciate and welcome trials when they come because they are your spiritual exercise. That's why James says in James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because it works patience. It works perseverance. And the storm came on the lake that day for a purpose. Jesus' disciples needed to do some growing that day. They needed to grow in their recognition of their own weakness, but Jesus' strength. They also needed to grow in their faith. In order for that faith to grow, it had to be challenged. It had to be put to the test in a storm. That frightening event was essential to grow their faith. It was essential for their spiritual development. Storms are God's way of bringing us into deeper grace and growing our faith in ways that we would never experience without the hard times. Without trials, our faith in the person of Jesus will never grow. It has to be exercised and challenged. And so the Lord may allow crises to enter into our lives to strengthen our faith. And we also see in this passage that the Lord may allow crises to enter our lives to give us a fuller picture of who he is. The Lord may allow crises to enter our lives to give us a fuller picture of who he is. And to me, in this passage, this is the climax of the lesson that Jesus had for his disciples that day, is to give them a clearer, deeper picture of who was in the boat with them that day. Verse 24 says that he got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. And notice the disciples' reaction in verse 25. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? Who is this that even the winds and the water obey him at his command? Who is this? Now remember, these are disciples who have been with Jesus for some time now. They've already seen Jesus' power on display in many ways. They've seen blind people healed. They, they saw a young man get up off of a, a board who was dead. Essentially, a young man get up out of his coffin and come back to life at the command of Jesus. They've seen Jesus cast out demons, raise up people who were lame, give hearing to the deaf. But upon this, the calming of the nature of the wind and the waves itself, the disciples are amazed. Who is this that can control all of nature? 
And I think one of the reasons why they are so amazed, why they are so shocked, is because probably the closest Old Testament parallels to what Jesus just did, the closest Old Testament parallels are with God himself. With Yahweh, with God himself. Probably the closest Old Testament parallel is Psalm 107. I'm going to read a few verses from Psalm 107. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits end. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. That is exactly what's happening in Luke 8, isn't it? But in Psalm 107, it was God bringing the waves to a whisper and bringing them to their desired destination. Here, it is Jesus. And notice, Jesus doesn't pray to God the Father like maybe a prophet would. He doesn't appeal for help to do this. He just stands up and commands the wind and the waves to stop. Almost like a master or an owner giving a command to a well-trained dog. Sit. And the dog sits. Jesus says to the storm, sit down. And it sat down. Immediately. We would be in amazement too. We would be shocked to our core. And the disciples asked the question, who is this? And that's really the question that is at the heart of Luke's gospel, isn't it? The question at the heart of Luke's gospel is, who is this man? Who is Jesus? He is the Lord of all, isn't he? He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the one who controls nature, controls the waves and the seas. Who can do that other than the Son of God himself? As Paul teaches us in Colossians 1 verse 17, the Son of God, Jesus, holds all things together. In him, all things consist, Colossians 1.17 says. Meaning that Jesus is upholding and holding together all of creation by his very power, by the word of his strength. He is holding the very fabric of this universe together by his continuous sustaining power. And it's that same Jesus, that same son of God who says to the waves and to the wind, stop. And they stop. Because he's Lord of heaven and earth. He is Lord of all. He is the creator who made the wind and the waves. And so it obeys its maker's voice. And so what does this passage teach us? It teaches us that in God's sovereign wisdom, the Lord 
allows crises to test our faith so that we might know him more fully and come to trust in his strength and not in ours. One of the reasons for this trial was so that the disciples would come face to face with the creator of the universe and be shaken to their core. And when I thought about that, I thought about the story of Job. Because the story of Job is one of intense trial and difficulty, isn't it? The storms continue to beat down on Job's life. It's like one storm right after another keeps sweeping into his life in the opening chapters of Job. What's the purpose? What's the reason for it? We're not told in the book exactly what God's purpose was in allowing these trials to come into Job's life. But one end result of these trials coming into Job's life is that Job can confess at the end, I have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. What did those trials do? They brought Job to a closer realization, a closer understanding of who God was. And in fact, in Job, what does God call out to Job? He says, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job came face to face with his creator, with his creator God and his creative power and his wisdom. Through trial, through storm, Job came to know his creator God better. Same for these disciples. Through storm, they came to know their creator God, their savior, the Lord of heaven and earth better. God is doing the same thing in our lives. It may not be a literal storm on a sea, but it may be any number of things that enters into our lives that are trying, that are difficult, that, that cause us to be concerned and give us anxiety. And what is God doing in those things? He is drawing us closer to himself, isn't he? He's drawing us closer to himself to depend upon him, to strengthen our faith in him, to see more clearly who he is as the providential Lord of heaven and earth. And that's what Jesus is doing for his disciples here. And so may we learn the lessons that our father has for us when trials enter our lives. And let us always remember that in the midst of the storm, Jesus is there. He's there. He's right by our side. The waves may be billowing over the side of the ship, but Jesus is there and he is not concerned. He has it all under control within his power. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you that you are the Lord of heaven and earth. We thank you, Father, that your Son, the Lord Jesus, The Son of God holds all things together by the very word of his power. We're thankful, Lord, that there is nothing in this world, nothing that can befall us that is not a part of your providential will. Nothing surprises you. Nothing catches you off guard. Nothing is too strong for you. Nothing too difficult. And everything that you bring into our lives, everything that we experience, 
Lord, you intend it for our good. You teach us, Lord, in your word that you are working all things together for our good. For we are loved by you and we are called by you according to your eternal purpose. So, Father, grow our faith. Help us to depend upon your strength and not our own. And, Lord, reveal more of yourself to us. And we recognize and we understand, Father, that the growing of that faith and knowing more of who you are may involve trial, may involve testing. But Lord, we would desire to know you. Even if that means going through the difficulties of life so that we might know you better. Lord, sustain us and hold us in your powerful hand. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.